Inspiring Educators podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin with introductions of our inspiring educators. Hi, everybody. It's Lila Noor, the educator motivator, coming to you from Los Angeles. You can find me on all social media platforms at Miss Lila Noor. That's at M-S-L-A-I-L-A-N-U-R. I am currently an instructional coach at Manuel Arts Senior High School in Los Angeles, California. And every week that we do this, because we do this, we like to start off with something that we are grateful for in order to just begin this process of opening up and feeling good and just giving thanks for, for what's happening in the movement that we're making. So this week, I am grateful for forgiveness, forgiveness of myself, forgiveness of other people, people's ability to forgive me. Um, I, I really try to put a lot of effort into forgiving myself for, for uh, the, 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 the plethora of mistakes that I have made um, over the years. And it's really allowed me to keep pushing forward and to make progress. So forgiveness is definitely that key piece that I am grateful for this week. Good stuff, good stuff. This is your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Child, the academic rock star, your favorite teacher, favorite teacher. I was probably one of your great grandparents' favorite teacher before you even know I was a favorite teacher. Boy. <laughs> I'm a mathematics specialist. I do everything, all things mathematics. Residing here in the beautiful FLA. If you don't know what FLA stands for, it stands for Florida. This is in the southeastern corner of the United States of America, just south of Georgia. You can find me on social media at DRK Childs, every social media platform out there, even the old platforms. If you're still on College Club, you can find me at DRK Childs on College Club. This week, I am grateful for just drew a blank because I was grateful for one thing and I'm grateful for something else. I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful for clarity. And I say grateful for clarity because the more time when you're doing what we do as far as a lot of different things going on in education, you're going from here to there, and you still have a personal life. A lot of people talk about the balance. But when you take time to rest and relax, it brings clarity and understanding to a lot of things that you're going through, both good and bad. So I'm just grateful for moments of clarity to really see a lot of things I may not have been seeing when I'm just ripping and running and going nonstop. When I have downtime, I can really think. So I am grateful for clarity. On this episode of the Inspiring Educators podcast, students are not succeeding. Boom. I wish I could drop a mic and you all see me drop a mic and like a bomb <laughs> sound. But students are not succeeding. Take a pause. You got to believe me. Or you don't have to believe me. But it's no secret. There's a pretty big variance in educational outcomes for students across the country. It is no secret. Whether you call it an achievement gap, which is a traditional term, or the opportunity gap, which is when you look at the achievement gap is typically looking at disparities in education. When you talk about the opportunity gap, you get at the systematic inequalities in educational experience. Would you call it an academic gap or opportunity gap? Either way, students are not getting high-quality mathematics experience or high-quality educational experience. Lighting always lead with math because we're mathematics experts, but 
across education in general. Students are not succeeding. And you know, they have a sign, there's a meme that goes around where a guy's sitting at a table, and at the table he has a sign that says, something changed my mind. Same thing with this topic. Students are not succeeding. Change my mind. Lila, jump on it. Ain't change your mind, because I believe you. <laughs> I mean, we see it across the board. We're, we're, we're looking at data on a regular now as, as districts, as schools, um, as the whole states. We're looking at data. We're looking at numbers. And we're seeing that it, the, it's, the numbers aren't changing. Right. It's in terms of um, uh, the amount of time that we've been given. Right. So if you were at CMC South um, uh, recently, you might have seen Chris's um, Ignite. It was it was the, the sequel to the one he gave before. And it started off with that video that uh, he said, hey, how much time are we going to wait? We waited for all these people after over all this amount of time and we're still not seeing that progress. And I, I think that when we think about our students not succeeding, we keep talking about the time it's going to take and, and all these barriers. When I go and do PD and, and workshops for a you know, variety of different things, and a lot of times I'm, I'm push, I get a lot of pushback about, well, our class sizes and our this and our that. At the end of the day, I think that a lot of times we end up shooting ourselves in the foot because we focus in on all these things that we can't change so that we can avoid changing the thing that we can change, which is ourselves, which is our practices, which is the things that we can be doing within the classroom, which is how we're allocating money, which is, you know, all these things that we can affect, we're not, it, it's, it's not happening. And uh, I'm with you, students are not succeeding. So Lila is telling you all to go look in the mirror and do a self-assessment. Because a lot of times, as Lila pointed out, we, we make excuses. This is why. This is why. We never do that self-assessment. And I like to tell people, control what you can control. What can you control and what are you doing about it to control it? And when you start thinking about what you can control, that begins a grassroots movement for change. And if you have not, and this is a plug, Go to YouTube and check out my CMC South Ignite. So if you go on YouTube, type in CMC South Ignite, and obviously Christopher Childs will pop up. And it starts off with the James Baldwin clip. That essentially, he's saying the time is now. Because we love to, when it comes to students, pass the book. Pass the book. Oh, we got time. Or somebody else's problem. But make this thing personal. Think about the students that you truly care about. When you care about a student, you're not trying to hear somebody say, oh, we got to take some time. You want immediate action. We need to have the same sense of urgency now with every student because only a certain subpopulation of students are succeeding. And we'll talk about that in a couple of moments. I mean, for me, I I'm thinking about just things that I personally, and again, you know, I've talked before about how I've been on this journey of very, very rough journey of of um getting to know Lila and figuring out where Lila's um areas of improvement are as uh Chris told me to uh, frame it before and for me when I start thinking about the ways that I'm 
not uh, performing in, as, as far as being an educator at whatever level that he is, I immediately am able to then go down this, you know, this funneling process to figure out, okay, here's where I can be a better person. Um, oftentimes it ends up being for me. And how does that translate into my practice? I mean, I think about little things like uh, just acknowledging cultural differences slash acknowledging the social injustices that our students face. This is, this is where we're at. I feel like when we can start doing that as a whole, as a, as, as a unit, and, and, and translating that into what that really means in terms of culturally relevant pedagogy, and, and education for our students, then we can really start thinking about the other things that can come from that after, after come um, after that. But we can acknowledge the issues and not just acknowledge, you know, a, a part of, um, I, I'm doing a course on uh, the habits of mind and I, one of them was empathy, right? And true empathy comes with not just being able to understand the, um, or put yourself in someone's shoes, but it also includes doing something about the shoes that they're walking in. So if I can acknowledge the social injustices, if I can acknowledge the cultural differences, if I can acknowledge the, the achievement gap, if I can do all those things now and really and truly understand it and believe what's happening, then I have to also be able to move myself to do something about it next. I like how Lila speaks about these cultural differences. I want to posit something to our listeners. Culturally relevant pedagogy should not be something different. It should not even be something new. It should, it should not even be something let's try out. It should be the default. Why do I say it should be the default? If you look at the history of the American, the American or the Western educational system, it was built for white men. That's what the country was built for. And if you really want to get specific and study history, it was poor white men that came over to the United States. It wasn't the rich, the English, the, from England, the rich. No, it was poor white people that came over in the beginning. So just get your history straight. Why do I make you get your history straight? The educational system that we use was built for white men, not white women, definitely not black and brown people, white men. That's why they typically succeed in the educational system. That's why examples are for them. Look at your textbook. It all centered around a white culture. But guess what? In the United States today, 51% of students are students of color. That means the majority of students are students of color, which means this lens that we're trying to take them through is a false lens because it does not represent the majority of a student's experiences. That's why culturally relevant pedagogy should be the default because we have a wide mix of students in classrooms. With that being said, we should not be forcing our students to assimilate to a system that was never designed for them, but we should be developing a system that's truthfully designed for every student to succeed in this so-called place of America in the schooling system. I'm going to go a couple steps further, but I want to let Lila jump back in. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about that and, and it's just equitable teaching practices. And that, that can be a lot of things, right? So right now we're, I mean, for the past, you know, uh, however many years, we've been really shifting into how we can use technology to enhance learning. However, 
there are some classrooms who are becoming 100% technology based. I don't know if that is fully equitable um, and equitable teaching practice for all of my students. I, when everything is on the computer, now, I'm not a against technology person. I absolutely love, 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 love when teaching enhances student learning. However, I'm thinking about my students that, you know, um, just struggle in A and B don't have access, right? Oh, you have access in, in, in school. Those are like one of those, those, those things that we, we talked about some time ago, but yet we're still seeing it happen that you're saying, oh, I'm using technology doing these awesome things and but what about other kids if we're still grading students on behavior and on attendance and are our equitable teaching practices are they actually equitable do we think that there are do we really and truly feel like some of the things that we're doing are allowing us to give every single one of our students access true access to but we have to get out of our respective bubbles because a lot of times we think what's best for us is best for our students, which is not necessarily true. Girl. So we have to think about looking in our students' cultural lens, what is going to be best for them. When we start to think about what is best for them, it changes what we value and what we think. A lot of times we want to create a bunch of mini-me's when in actuality, we don't need mini-me's. We need them to be many themselves. Mm. And I, I've, I've, I'm guilty of, of trying to do that sometimes. So I, I, I see it. And no offense, you know, Lila's an amazing person. The world does not need another Lila. What the world needs is somebody else. I mean, you can't get another one of me. I've tried anyway. So. <laughs> so what we need to start doing is instead of looking at America as a melting pot, looking at school as a melting pot. I got this from someone. I, 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 I apologize. I do not remember where I heard this. Instead of looking at everything as a melting pot, where we're trying to get students to assimilate, we're trying to get them to be a part of a system, a system that wasn't designed for them. What we need to look at is America and look at school as a salad. If you've ever had a good salad, a good salad has a lot of key components. Each component brings something different to the salad and you mix it all together. You're not combining things. You're not trying to mash it all together. You're just trying to bring everything together for a flavor. That's what we need to be doing with school, providing some flavor and originality to these educational experiences. As we think about these flavor and originality, let's look at a couple things we should do to make sure all students start to succeed. First, enhancing cultural competence. This gets you a culturally relevant pedagogy. We need to also provide comprehensive support for all students. Different students need different things. What supports are being provided for students? Outreach to students' families. A lot of times we don't involve communities in the family. We try to make school this isolated place when we really need to. Families want to be a part of it naturally. How do you incorporate them? And don't be stereotypical. My families don't have time or they're working. Families have time. They want to be a part of it. Provide opportunities for them to be a part of it. And make sure you just have this supportive structure. I discussed that earlier when I said comprehensive support for students, but really comprehensive support for your entire school. What type of structure are in place to ensure everything is taken care of? Having adequate, qualified staff, like our most, our students who need the most get the, I want to say the worst teachers, the most least qualified teachers on average. Why is that? If we care about all students, every student should have access to a qualified personnel. And I'm not, I'm not in the business of, we need funding. 
If we can build a stupid wall, we can build better schools. Lila, final thought. Oh, you just you 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 hit me with them real quick. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm definitely agreeing with all of that. Um, and if we want our students to succeed, we really and truly gotta believe that they can succeed. Like from the depth of our soul. As much as we, you know, if you, if you have a significant other, if you have kids or, you know, whoever the, the, the closest beloved is to you in your life is with the, the passion that you love that person, you have to also be able to believe that our students can succeed. When you believe every student can succeed, you start to change your, your personal value, what is education? As you change your personal value, what is education? and provide every student a high quality educational experience. That leads to my favorite part of the episode, which is the inspirational moment. This episode's inspirational moment is being brought to you by none other than Ms. Lila Noor. We, we talked about believing that every student can succeed. And for me, that really and truly starts with eliminating the don't, the can't, and the won't. When we start off conversations about where our students are struggling, when we start talking about what the data is reflecting, kids failing, we immediately, this is, I, I kid you not, we start off with they don't, they can't, and they won't. I'll tell you personally, when I eliminate those words or those phrases, from my vocabulary, whether referring to students, parents, administrators, and I focus on what I, I personally can change, I have made a world of difference in my classroom because I am no longer saying they can't multiply. I'm saying they struggle with multiplication, but you know what I'm gonna do? Give them a calculator. I'm no longer saying they don't come to class. I'm saying, you know what? My lesson's been kind of dry lately. I can see why someone doesn't want to be in my class and they disengage and say they might as well not eat. Um, I'm no longer saying they won't do the work. I'm now saying, you know what? The work I'm giving them might not even be cognitively challenging. So maybe I need to create more activities or assignments that um, require uh, a higher level of thinking because my students are able, my students are capable. I'm completely changing my mind frame and I'm eliminating the they won't, they can't, and they don't from my vocabulary. And I'm shifting that to, I'm gonna still acknowledge where the obstacles are. I'm still acknowledging the challenges but I am now focused on the things that they can do, the things that I can personally affect, the things that I can change, the things that I can improve, the things that I have control over in order to improve my students' learning. That is all I have. I can no longer continue. Scratch that. We can no longer continue to keep putting the blame in other areas and think that that's good enough. It's not good enough anymore. When we talk about our students succeeding at the end of the day, they are in the classroom with us between 
50 and 90 minutes, depending on where you're at, that's what you got. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take that 85 minutes and say, well, you know, they can't. And that's the, that's, that's the, the, it, the, the extent of which you can go. That's not fair. You're not providing access to your students. It's not an equitable teaching practice. It's not an equitable mindset. And I can only imagine how that might carry over into other areas. We have to eliminate, they don't, they can't, and they won't. Because the reality is that when I change some of the things that I do, when I really and truly reflect and think about the, the areas that I can grow and I start to make those changes, I realize that they do and they can and they will because I, I changed what I can change. I made improvements. I decided that it was no longer about what they can't, won't, and don't. It was now about what can I do to be able to fill in those gaps, to be able to bridge where my students are at and where I need them to be so that they do, they can, and they will. I promise you, our students can succeed. And with that, this has been the Inspired Educators Podcast. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. We'll see you on the next episode. We out. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 y'all can just say I'm waving. Like I'm waving at Chris, like I'm saying. Bye. <laughs>